This is the Banks of the Raritan Podcast, presented by the Fans First Sports Network. Welcome to the Banks of the Raritan Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Greg Petuto, here with Matt Forno. Rutgers is 1-0. We broke down the Northwestern game earlier in the week, so we're going to move on to week two. And that's the crazy part about football season. It's like you spend all this time preparing for week one, and then in just a few hours that game's over and it's on to the next, and you only have a couple days to discuss the next few, the next opponents for the rest of the season. But that's the excitement of the grind. So we're back here to do it again, Matt. Yeah, over. absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I, you know, I'm, I have a little bit of a cough, a little bit of a sniffles, but I got to say the best medicine always is a Rutgers victory coming off a Rutgers victory and hopefully another one this uh, upcoming Saturday. So I guess I'm playing hurt for the listeners, but I'll play hurt for Rutgers any day of the week. And, yeah, obviously the football, it's it's crazy week one's done. You know, it was a long week one. I think it started on Thursday, went all the way through the weekend till Monday. And it was exciting. Each day there was exciting games. I really think the the games uh, Monday Mon- or Sunday night versus uh, the Florida State FSU game was a bit of a lopsided game, but it, was, it had exciting plays. And then, of course, Duke upsetting Clemson was just I don't know. I'm not the biggest Clemson fan. I have nothing against them, but I'm always excited to see a team like Duke win like that, especially at home. So it was it was fun. I mean, the 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 hierarchy of college football, in college, like this season right now, people are comparing it to that wacky 2007 season. Like it has all of those storylines already when you factor in Colorado, uh, Clemson already losing, LSU losing, two top 10 teams losing in week one, like just exciting stories. So hopefully Rutgers can be a, po- a part of that wild ride in a, in a positive way, especially, you know, in that 2007 season was, a, you know, one of more their one of their more successful seasons. But yeah, we're on a temple and, you know, I think this is a game fans should should be excited about. And I, I know I certainly am. Yeah, there's definitely plenty of topics to talk about around college football as a whole, and we'll get into that a little more as we discuss our best bets for Week 2 segment coming up a little later in the show. You're listening to this on a Friday morning. That'll be typically our schedule moving forward during football season. Get shows out Tuesday and Friday to get more content in during this football season. And hopefully, like you said, it's a good one for Rutgers. But I got to say, it's not going to be an easy one. It's not going to be the the sixty-one to fourteen game we saw a couple years ago. I'm not saying it's going to be the sixteen fourteen game we saw, but this is not going to be an easy game. You could throw the the Akron game out the window for Temple too. Things change week to week. You know that that's not a game that you should use and say Rutgers is going to win this game by four touchdowns. So they have some weapons. They have a strong quarterback. They're a program looking to be on the rise a bit with a second year court uh second year coach so it's going to be it's going to be a good test i think non-conference for Rutgers this year yeah i i would it feels funny saying this but i I really don't think it's wild to say the temple might be a better team than northwestern i don't think that's crazy to say they they seem like a much more motivated team more confident on offense and you know yeah we'll get into and i mean temple on not too long ago, I would say two years ago when we, when Rutgers did blow them out week one, they were very bad that year. Uh, they, 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 but they didn't really, they had, they were, their team was in flux and they had a new coach or they were, I'm not sure what was going on, but they were in turmoil, similar to Northwestern now. But yeah, this isn't a Temple team that I'm just going to, again, never mark a game as a win in this on the schedule before the clock strikes zero. But this is a Temple team that we, we should absolutely not overlook. I'm sure that, the, and this is a team that, has been looking forward to this game since last year. And Greg Schiano said it in his press conference either today or yesterday, whenever it was, 
like last, and I, I think a lot of people would agree, including myself, we should have lost that game. We, we were we were outplayed, especially on offense. If it wasn't for a defensive touchdown, we don't even see the end zone. So a game we shouldn't overlook, but you know we'll get into more of a breakdown. But there are some, I think, advantages Rutgers can have entering this game. But this is a Temple team that, you know, similar to people were saying, Northwestern against the world or the Cats against the world. This is a Temple team that, that has motivated. But again, it's Rutgers against the world. We proved it on Sunday. People are going to tune in no matter what. It was the 10th most watched game this weekend. It doesn't say a lot because it was it was a standalone game, but I'll take that. There was over it was almost 3 million people that tuned in Labor Day, uh, the Sunday of Labor Day. So people are watching. Hopefully we can keep the fans attracted. But this is this is a big one on, on, on Saturday, leading into an even more competitive game the following week against Virginia Tech. But important to not look ahead to that one just yet. Yeah, Temple's growing. They're not there yet, but Stan Drayton hopes to have them on the right path. It was a, it's been an interesting ride. You know, you go for Matt Rule. They've had I think since Matt Rule, they've this is their third coach or fourth coach, and they obviously haven't been able to get back to that level. But it's a team that is hopefully on the rise. I know Rod Carey that whole Rod Carey experiment, the three year experiment with him. They had a strong year. You know, got to a bowl game, won eight games. The COVID year was tough on them, and then that was the year that Rutgers beat them in twenty twenty one. His uh, Rod Carey's final year, they went three and nine there, and just a non-competitive team. That was the type of team that Rutgers should have beat the way they did, but that's not the team they saw last year. You saw immediate, an immediate change just from a toughness point of view. You know, you can chalk it up to Rutgers, um, what they were last year, saying they weren't the best offense, obviously, or or whatever season Rutgers had last year. But Temple was a tough team, and that's where you're going to see again. And looking at their offense, led by EJ Warner. He's got some new weapons. He's got some experienced players. So it's definitely going to be a test. And I'm curious to see how this game plays out. And one of the most interesting things for me regarding Temple is whether they're playing with Matt Rule winning the conference or one of the teams that's towards the bottom of, of the FBS. They always, always find a way to get guys into the NFL. Uh, like they're like they have talent. They, they may not. They may be under recruited guys coming out of high school, but they always have at least a couple of guys on each roster that is going to be playing on Sunday. I'm not sure about this year who's who that's going to be. I think it's a little early to compare the quarterback, EJ Warner, who's the son of Hall of Famer Kurt Warner. But that's a kid who played as a true freshman against Rutgers. I don't remember how many yards he threw for, but he he diced up Rutgers. I mean, we, we, we forced a turnover against him, maybe a couple t- turnovers, but – not a guy that I'm ready to overlook. He's undersized, but he can sling the ball. He has a quick release, and his receivers can find ways to get open. So not looking over this team, you know, it's – it's. I'm not sure they're going to be able to run the ball too well. We'll get into that a little bit more. But EJ Warner is, is certainly their X factor for this game and, and not a player that I'm uh, – you know, I was expecting him to – just thinking about what where Temple is, where they're going, where the AAC is – I wasn't. I was a little surprised he wasn't someone that put his name in the transfer portal. I don't know if he's a Power Five starter, but he he played great as an eighteen year old for Temple uh, for them last year. Again, a team that is improving, they're a work in progress, but he did great. He finished the year really strongly for them. I think that's what we see maybe this off season. You know, he's still a he was a true freshman last year, so entering his sophomore year, he might want to stay in this system one more time and then maybe transfer for his junior senior year or something like that, but. One thing we know is they're going to put the ball in his hands, and they're not afraid. They threw, just looking at his numbers, he threw the ball 30 or more times, nine times last year, 40 or more, five times, and then he had a 59-attempt game and a 63-attempt game. So they're going to pass the ball. They're going to throw it, and this is a good test for the Rutgers secondary as well because 
Temple lost their um, leading receiver from last year, but they got this Colorado State transfer, Dante Wright, who I believe had seven catches on Sunday against Akron. So they have weapons that they're going to use, and, and they're going to throw the ball. It's going to be very interesting to see. Max Melton will most likely be matched up with Wright, so that'll be a good matchup there. And especially if Rutgers can stop the run like they like they did, obviously, against Northwestern, Warner's going to have to throw the ball even more. Definitely. And, I mean, to speak more about Temple giving Warner the ball, he threw the ball 49 times on, on Saturday. Yep, I mean, crazy. Gavin threw the ball, what, uh, 38 maybe? Uh, under 40, like – and Gavin has no. Gavin hasn't seen more more snaps than him. EJ Warner has actually more experience, believe it or not. But that's a lot. That's a lot for for a team. And you know they they were playing from behind for nearly all of the game. It wasn't like a huge deficit, but they played from behind. He led them back. He I think he had one. He might have had a turnover. No, I don't think he threw an interception. He almost no, did. No interceptions. Yeah, he 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 played a very clean game. He's a he's a good quarterback. I'm I'm excited for him. I, I, he's a guy that like you you want to root for. I'm sure he wasn't highly recruited. Again, he's undersized, but he really does a great job uh, playing quarterback. And, I, and now I think he plays with a glove on his right hand, which is just like his dad. So, I mean, that just makes me more worried. I just think about, you know, when, he, when, when Kurt Warner was throwing the ball to Larry Fitzgerald in Arizona, like that was a great matchup. Another player I want to highlight for Temple, receiver Amada Anderson, the one-time Rutgers commit back in 2017. He ended up decommitting committing to Purdue, and I think during the COVID year transferred to Temple where he's been for the past three seasons. So a guy who's seen a lot of college football, uh, you know, at Purdue with Jeff Brom, they ran an explosive offense. I don't think he contributed much there, which is probably what led to his transfer, but he had a great game on Saturday. I mean, these are receivers that right now I, I think they have shown more than what Rutgers has shown from a receiving group, but that doesn't mean that we, the guys on our squad can't play to their level because where has Temple struggled, at least in this previous game, they didn't run the ball well at all. They rushed for, I think, 61 yards. Uh, let me, I think it was about 61. That, that to me, I think, yeah, six, 28 attempts for 61 yards. I think, you know, Rutgers just came off a game where they allowed, what was it, 22 yards or 12 yards? 12 I think, yards, 20, yeah. 12 yards. Like, I, I have a feeling Rutgers is going to be able to limit their running game, but that doesn't mean that then that maybe we're playing the Temple strength where they're passing the ball. But, what did Akron not do against Temple? They didn't get after EJ Warner. They didn't sack him. They didn't touch him. Uh, that's something where I think Rutgers has the advantage. If they're if they're going to be able to press the box and get after Warner, I think that's where we can find success. And that's how we ended up winning the game last year. We, we blitzed them, forced a, a tipped ball that went for a, a pick six, we'll call that. Uh, and that's how Rutgers is going to win this game. Uh, I think the defense, this is going to be a good test for them. Offensively, I think, again, we're, we're going to need to do a lot of what we did in the previous game against Northwestern, the, the the recipe is is pretty set for Rutgers game to game. Control the clock, control the ball, and don't turn it and, and don't turn it over. And and I think we'll hopefully see another win in the win column. But uh, again, this is a Temple team that's that's certainly improved from last year. And I think when you look at Northwestern, they're probably a team that's that couldn't have possibly done worse than the, the year before, but they certainly might. And there's a lot of extenuating circumstances for that. So uh, yeah, Temple, a team. I'm I'm, I'm going to be at a wedding. Uh, Riding groom James and Katie, uh, just if you, you don't see me, I'm going to be watching this game because I got a job to do. I got to know what's going on for Rutgers football, and I'm going to have to watch this one. Yeah, I'm excited to see that receiving core that you that you talked about a little there. They're losing a 70 catch guy in Jose Barbone, and, and Ahmad Anderson's the guy you think is going to step up. He's their second leading receiver from last season. They bring in Dante Wright from Colorado State, so they have a they have a two headed, a somewhat of a two headed monster. You know, it's not. Marvin Harrison and Emeka Buka, obviously, but they have two receivers that you can trust. 
And their running game hasn't been strong. That's just how it is. So I think the ball is going to be in the air. And for them, it's all about limiting the turnovers. E.J. Warner didn't turn the ball over a ton last year. I mean, he threw 12 interceptions last year. But as an 18-year-old, a true freshman, I mean, if I'm Clemson, uh, Clemson, I don't know where that just popped in my head randomly. (laughs) If I'm Temple, I'm taking 3,000 yards and 18 touchdowns if it's going to come with 12 picks from a quarterback you think you're going to have a few more years. So uh, the thing I like about Temple, they've done what they need to do to give him weapons. You know, so when you look at this receiving core, it rivals Rutgers for sure. You know, it might be one of their strengths compared to where there's a big, big question mark for Rutgers. And that might be teams are on different levels. You know, you could say Rutgers is playing in the Big Ten. Temple isn't. The level of play is different, obviously, which is something we'll get to see when these two teams match up. But I'm excited to see these receivers, and I'm ex- I'm actually excited to see an opponent throw the ball a lot of uh, of Temple's level because I want to see what this quarterback's made of, and I want to see Ruck- if Rutgers can make it two in a row getting to the quarterback. Obviously, they finished with five sacks against Northwestern. Definitely. And another another player I think that is worth highlighting for Temple. I don't remember if it was him that, that scored the touchdown uh, for Temple last year or maybe one of their two touchdowns. I can't, can't exactly remember if they, they scored uh, more than once. But their tight end, David Martin Robinson, just a, just a good tight end, like a solid tight end for college. And I don't remember Northwestern using their tight end at all. So it's going to be interesting to see if our linebackers or if it's going to be Shaquan Loyal or Flip Dixon, that's that's kind of key in that that tight end from the line of scrimmage. But that's a guy that they're going to use. He, he caught four passes, 51 yards. That's a great day for a tight end in college football. Yeah, uh, and then they, they spread the ball around. And they may not have, and going back to the running backs, they may not have ran the ball efficiently. I would say they ran the ball very poorly. But they're, what's his name? Sadie. I don't know what his first name is, but Sadie caught five five balls out of the backfield and scored their two touchdowns. Like he, he, he was a weapon in the backfield. It wasn't anything crazy. It was just quick swing passes that just caught a great matchup against a linebacker. They just darted for the touch, uh, to the end zone for. But again, those weren't things we really saw Northwestern do. So this is going to be, a, I think, a much more challenging defensive uh, or offensive opponent for Rutgers. Defensively, I'm I'm I was I watched the full game highlights against Akron, and one thing where I think we're going to see I think we're going to see a lot more of Gavin using his legs. They rotated in uh, Akron rotated in their backup quarterback Taj Bullock, who's actually from New Jersey. I believe he committed to Virginia Tech, and then this past season he might have transferred. He yeah. must have transferred yeah. to to Akron. So Great you know, a Jersey guy. Oh, always, always, always like rooting for a Jersey guy, but just not in this one. But, but what he showed me that Akron was able to do against Temple was they had a lot of uh, third and shorts to go. I don't think they ever had. A, I'm not sure they went for it on fourth down, but on third and two or third and one, they put him in and he just plowed ahead and, and got the first down. So I think we're going to see a lot of that. We did. They did that this past week against Northwestern, but with the running backs. But I'm, I think we're going to see more Gavin Wimsat designed runs and I, I as a fan it's something I've been dying to see more of you know it was so exciting to see a couple of purely designed runs not necessarily read options and I and Gavin's Gavin's an athlete so it's going to be fun to see if they do decide to do that maybe we'll be in a situation where we don't have too many third and shorts to go or, or you know short yards to to convert a, a or to continue the drive but Gavin's a guy who I'm excited to see and I, I think that from what I saw Akron be able to do that. Rutgers should also be able to have that success. So should be a should be an exciting game. Yeah, it was nice seeing design runs, and it was nice seeing rollouts. I, I like a mobile quarterback that can not only run, but he could roll out to either side and throw the ball because of his arm strength. I, I it's getting so it's getting said so much 
Obviously, during the offseason, it's going to be continued until Rutgers shows something. Fans are probably tired of hearing it. I'm tired of saying it, but it's all about the offense in this game. It really is because, you know, the defense is going to show up. They're going to be strong. They're going to compete. Rutgers has to put some points on the board. When you look at that game last year, 16-14 against this Temple team out in Philly, three field goals and a defensive touchdown. Thank God for Shaquan Loyal or Rutgers doesn't win that game. They don't score an offensive touchdown against Temple. And again, that's not to take anything away against Temple. It's not a knock on them because they're a program that plays hard. They're on the rise. I really do like the job Stan Drain's doing with them. But you got to score an offensive touchdown against anybody, no matter who it is. To not score one against Temple, it's a problem. Now, what we saw against Northwestern, very, very encouraging. Uh, The play calling was great. I loved how simple it was. Gavin using his legs. And Rutgers is only going to get healthier. Obviously missing their arguably top two running backs. So... It's all about the offense in this game. Again, if Rutgers could put some points on the board, they should be able to cruise to a win here. But, I mean, until we see it consistently, maybe it remains a question mark. I I definitely understand if there's skeptics out there. But this is a Temple team. You know they're going to come in and they're going to fight hard. So just get an offensive touchdown on the board, break the the streak there, and then kind of go from there, just like you did against Northwestern. Totally agree. Uh, And and – I, I don't want, and I'm not a doctor. We're not going to really know until officially. I don't. I, I feel like Greg Shano is going to going to keep it pretty pretty quiet until oh, yeah. two hours before kickoff. But definitely not I, surprising. I, this is this is the. I really think this is the perfect opportunity to to show the nation what Sam Brown's all about. Now, if he's not healthy, I think we have enough guys in the running back room where we we can win without him. I, I want to see him on the field because. This is going to be the perfect opportunity for him to get some real, real game time experience in before we play a, a power five or another power five team uh, in Virginia Tech, and that's a te- that's a game where I am going to want him. I do think we'll need him for a game like that. Uh, but Kyle Manungai and, and Jason Benjamin proved that they can handle the workload. Now we didn't really break off many big yards, but I was listening to some podcasts and we were we you yes you want to see an. You know, rushing average of, of four yards that just is your your benchmark because if you run the ball three times you're picking off a, a, a first down each t- or each drive or each series for us we though we, we we ran the ball efficiently we may have only been picking up two or three yards but we were converting first downs or third downs or fourth downs like they were moving the chain so those those were runs with high success rates i'm not a big advanced metrics guy but i think that makes sense that's, that's a good way to evaluate a team and and continuing to keep the offense on the field. A guy, one thing we didn't see Rutgers do was really anything outside of the tackles. I don't know if we ran a single offensive uh, rushing play left to the outside of, of either the right or the left, a toss play or just a sweep, anything. And that's fine. We, we won the game. I'm not going to, I'm not asking for anything more, but that's where Sam Brown comes in. I mean, you think about so many of those games last year, he made plays where he was just stiff-arming defenders to the ground, getting to the edge, and, and cutting it up for a first down. That's what I want to see on Saturday. If he's not healthy, that's that's a different story. But, you know, I think if Rutgers has a good good, good chance of, of, of finding success on the ground. And with someone like Sam Brown, I, I think it, it adds another layer to it. Uh, but but then again, you know, we, we did talk about Gavin. Maybe Gavin provides that for us. But, again, we're going to be watching the offensive line. We need to show improvement there. I want to see more consistency there among the five guys that are who, who are going to be starting. I'm expecting to see more rotating, but it seems like left side of the line, left side of the line is locked in with with Pierce and Dunlap. I guess it's going to be Zelensky at center. We don't know. And then the left side, it seemed like we may have found it with uh, Tyler Needham and 
Kobe Amosa, I think his name. I think those are the two guys there. I want to see consistency. It's it's gonna it's gonna really be a, a, a huge factor for us. And this is another game where we have the advantage from I think all I think all three levels. Rutgers is the better team. And again, what's going to matter here is coaching. And Greg Schiano and his staff are prepared. If we can play another clean game without any laundry on the field, I'm expecting another win. It definitely would not be surprising to see Greg Schiano each week take it to the two-hour mark to talk about the inactive. But he said last week, this was interesting to me, he said Sam Brown could have gone in a pinch. Now, I don't think in this running back room there should ever be a situation where there is a pinch, quote-unquote, because of the depth and they showed it even more. Jay Sean Benjamin might not have even been a guy that was on radars for people coming into this game. And he led the team in carries with 20. Kyle Manungai, we knew could be a bell cow. He's done it before. But no Sam Brown, no Aaron Young. It's going to be interesting to see how they do that. So obviously by what Greg Schiano said, I take it as Young is still dealing with more of an injury injury than Sam Brown is. So I'm curious to see if they think they can get past this game without him. I want to save him for Virginia Tech, which is one of the swing games on the schedule, in my opinion, if they're going to get to six. So that'll be interesting to see. If they're really, if there's any shadow of a doubt, I want to see him on the field. I would maybe think about keeping him out only because of that depth that they have. If this was past years or if it was a situation maybe in the wide receiver room instead of the running back room, you, you might want to force a guy, get him out on the field, see what he can do. But I really like this rushing attack from Rutgers. I think they have some dudes back there that can get the job done other than Sam Brown. And especially if the offensive line starts to gel. They didn't allow a sack. They were strong in pass protection, but didn't play the best game in, in, in the run game. So it'll be interesting to see what they could do against this Temple defense that stifled them last year. But again, shouldn't be really that much to write home about this year. Yeah, agreed. And another guy, you know, sh- shifting over to defense for a second, Greg Shannon mentioned, I think someone, a, a reporter asked, like, we didn't see Moses Walker. Is anything up, up with that? And Greg Shannon was pretty pretty blunt about it. He was like, the defense wasn't on the field that much. So, like, he kept his right. guys out there. He kept you know, Jennings and, and Tyreen Powell might have played every snap. And to be completely honest, like, that's good. That's that's good. We, we know Moses Walker is an extremely talented uh, linebacker. Former number one player out of New, uh, New York, had offers everywhere, was like a top 150 player. A guy we want to see is fans. I'm sure the coaching staff wants to see him. But in that week one game, it's hot or winning. You know, the defense, is, the defense does need meaningful reps. He just kept his guys out there. So, again, that's another guy I'm curious if we'll be able to see him some more. I don't know if this – I don't know if Rutgers needs to either uh, – needs to rotate that in at their own mercy or if we need to have a, a, that wide of a margin of, of a lead in order for him to feel comfortable putting him in. But, again, a guy coming off a torn ACL, I'm not in a hurry to rush him in when we have two experienced, two proven linebackers there. I want to watch him play. I definitely want to see him play. But the way the defense played this past uh, Sunday, uh, I'm, I'm very encouraged for them. Another guy – I don't remember seeing him uh Kesson Abraham I'm not sure he was out there on the field I know Eric Rogers was the transfer from their Eastern Michigan one, one of those one of those Midwest schools but but those are guys we saw but there's also some veterans that we didn't like like I said Kesson Abraham so you know th- there was the defense played great but I think this is going to be a good test now we did talk very highly though about EJ Warner deservingly so but analysts were very high on Ben Bryant as well for Northwestern. Again, a team, a transfer, learning a new system without his head coach that he committed to. 
but he he did throw some very good passes. You know, if 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 it wasn't for Rutgers' defense in his face all day, I don't know how well he would have done. But you know, Rutgers can control the narrative of this game if the if the defense plays well. Again, the offense is going to need to, you know, play well as well, score points. But the defense has the ability to uh, to really dictate how this game flows. And again, if the offense can keep them fresh on the field, I'm excited. And another X factor for the defense is it sounds like Marquise Watson's going to be back on the sideline coaching the defensive line. And for the defensive line to play so well without him on Sunday, on a pretty short notice, it seemed, I'm excited to see how motivated they'll be on Saturday, Saturday against Temple. And for the Temple defense, you look at uh, an experienced group of linebackers. They bring back Jordan, McG- Jordan McGee and Leighton Jordan. They lose their top defensive end, Darian Varner. He's now with Wisconsin. That was a big get for Wisconsin. And a team that let up close to 200 yards a game on the ground last year. So we mentioned how important the run game is going to be. And last year, Rutgers ran the ball well. I mean, they ran for 142 yards last year. Problem is, they only finished with 200 total yards because they couldn't throw the ball. So the combination of everything is going to be good this year. Um, The defensive line for Temple, I don't expect to make a ton of noise, but... Obviously, the linebackers were there last year. They were a strong group last year as well. Still couldn't stop the run. So that's something that I think they're going to lean on. But if they could get anything from the passing attack, and, and what, from what we saw against Northwestern, Rutgers should be able to do that. But you can't throw for 60 yards again in this game. That was just – I remember watching that game, and that was just a horrible, horrible performance to see. That just can't happen again. And God willing, by rights, it shouldn't happen again with the Gavin Wimps had in there and then Kirk's rocket calling the offense. So – there's there's a lot of improvements that need to be made, but I think they can be if if you know they show up and play the game that they could. Yeah, you mentioned Kurt Kurt Sriracha, and I'm a I'm a fan of of Rutgers football and and the Jets, New York Jets, and for so many years they've been trying to figure out off it out offensively. You know, it, when it, whether it was the Jets with Adam Gase or this past time with with Mike Lafleur. It just has never worked. They, you, you see glimpses, but you never hold on to it. In the previous years with Rutgers, we saw what Sean Gleason could do. There was a period of time in 2020 where we were like, hey, this guy this guy might be it. you know. And it seemed like it was a fluke. I think we gave him an extension, which was a mistake, obviously, but it didn't work out. And we're going to see maybe he lands on his feet, but it was pretty bad last year. My point that I'm trying to make, though, is what we knew – Kurt Sriracha was good at and what we needed for him we saw in week one immediately we saw him control the ball run a balanced attack in the air and on the ground and and didn't turn it over controlled the clock long sustained drives it's exactly what we needed to to win that game and that's what we're doing and I don't in college football and in all sports coaching matters but specifically in football it has such a great impact and it dictates so much of what's going to happen in the game and his experience and the staff that Shiana put together, I think, is truly going to be an X factor throughout this season. We're playing a lot of teams, you know, Virginia Tech's another one where they have a second second to, second year head coach after being a defensive coordinator at Penn State. Uh, forgetting his name right now, but uh, it's Rutgers has the experience. They and they may not be together for a while, but the coaching and and the ability to implement. Real change that's having an impact on the field can't be understated enough. And I'm excited to see how we can continue to see this offense grow. It may not be the flashiest offense this year, but, you know, when you look at the defense, we make up for it for the exciting plays there. I love what Joe Joe Harris-Simiak is doing there. And the the guys just fly on the field. They were hitting on Sunday, and I'm excited to see that again on Saturday, especially in those black uniforms. Rutgers is a a nine-and-a-half-point favorite in that game. 44, I believe, is the total. Both interesting numbers 
in my opinions. And we're going to discuss that more as we get to our best bets. Before we move on to that, I feel it's only right. And Matt, we talked about this just now off air, but the whole Dylan Harper saga going on, there are some rumors out there about Kansas gaining some steam for Harper, which they won a national title two years ago. They should be gaining some steam. Obviously, Duke's in the mix. He's going to take some visits over the next few weeks. Rutgers, everybody calm down. Everything's okay. I think this fits into his plan. Um, he said after Peach Jam during the summer that he wasn't going to commit until either during or the end of high school basketball season. That doesn't start until November. So I think everything is just going according to plan. Rutgers, I believe, is still the favorite. I don't think there's any shady games going on. So anybody who's ready to jump ship, I don't think it's the time just yet. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. I uh, If I was Dylan Harper, if I was the number one or number two player in the country, I think you should do whatever is best for you. And if that means taking your time and making the best decision that's for you and your family, of course, you should do it. And if Kansas is coming knocking on your door with an offer, you should at least listen to it. I mean, come on, like we're... That, that that's silly. That's an opportunity that's worth listening to. Now, I think Rutgers is the best option for him and where I want to see him go. And I think what Rutgers has going the other teams don't is Ace Bailey. I think Ace Bailey has been the biggest advocate for Rutgers, the best advertisement for the team right now. And that is no slide to Steve Peichel because Steve Peichel is the one that deserves all the credit for this. The guys that we keep bringing in on, on the recruiting trail is so impressive. It's building a foundation for the future, and that's what we're going to need if we land guys like Dylan Harper and Ace Bailey. Because they're going, their eyes are on the yes, their eyes are on the Jersey Mike's Arena playing at sold out crowds the upcoming year, but they're looking at the bright lights in the NBA. So continuing to we we obviously have our focus on Dylan Harper, and it will be the best thing for Rutgers athletics if he does come. I it was awesome seeing the the riot squad with the, the Harper University banner at the at the game on uh, Sunday and with Dylan and Ron in attendance, just awesome. Like just, again, it's what football can do for a university is amazing. It can lift all ships, both academically and, and, and athletics. And that performance on Sunday, the students showing up, that stuff matters. These are kids at the end of the day. They want to they go to a school that has an awesome, fun environment that's going to support them both academically and athletically. And I think what Rutgers did on Sunday is a perfect example of why we should be positive and high on Dylan Harper, hopefully becoming a Scarlet Knight in the future. I'm not an insider. I don't have inside information. But what I can tell is when Dylan Harper posted that troll picture of him doing the Ron Harper celebration in the Indiana uniform, that made me think this guy, you know, he likes what we've done in the past. He respects what his brother's done, the trail he presented for other Jersey players to come to Rutgers. That's one of the biggest things I like to look at. I'm high on Dylan Harper, but you know, I've seen a lot of worry on Twitter and social media, but you know, if you get a – and one more thing about Kansas, you know, we, what's it – Kansas all-time Hall of Fame head coach Bill Self, natural champion, is he healthy? Like, is this yeah, guy healthy? Right. He, didn't, he didn't coach <laughs> in the tournament. He had a serious issue. Like, again, Duke replaced their head all-time head coach. I'm, I'm not saying Bill Self isn't going to be there come November, but, you know, is his health an issue? That, that matters. Coaching, again, matters. If Bill Self's not there, what are you going to do? So – just something to keep in mind. Uh, I haven't heard anything about that. I haven't looked into it either, but certainly not the most healthiest of head coaches currently. Yeah, the Ace Bailey commitment is definitely the most important thing in the timing of it. I believe he committed back in January, and that's different than all these players. They know each other so well just from playing together. If you're a top player, you're together with other top players all the time. Harper and Bailey obviously have developed a friendship, and it's different if they were going through this process together trying to commit. 
because then they can both be persuaded. They could pick kind of whatever school they wanted. Bailey committing to Rutgers early is such a huge advantage because, or such a huge factor because, like you said, he's advocating for Rutgers. He's in his ear. He's talking about, you know, the chances of them playing together, this and that. So that's on Rutgers' side. And then you look at, obviously, Ron Harper Jr. going there and spending the four years he did. Dylan knows Steve Peichel. This isn't the first time. He didn't just start talking to him, you know, over the past year of his recruitment. If your older brother's at a school and you're another and you're a player on the rise, you you know the head coach of the school your brother is currently playing for. So definitely his ties. He's from Jersey, obviously. His brother went there, Ace Bailey. A lot of good things happening. So if Kansas calls, you take your visit, you get courted for the weekend. That's a no-brainer. I, I would do that for any school that – any main school that called me once you pick out your top five or six. So, Rutgers fans, it's not the time to to jump just yet. I'd still stay pretty confident. If you're nervous, if you're any any second guesses, if you're doubting a little bit, that's normal just because of of history. But this one, it's not locked in yet. But I would still be on the side of Rutgers as the favorite and stay a little comfortable. Totally couldn't agree more. One more thing, just to jump back to Rutgers football. I mentioned the riot squad, the students with that Harper University banner. People need to remember this game on Saturday, it is a blackout game. And it's a blackout game that's coming off of, a, I think, a, a great turnout by fans on a hot, hot Sunday of Labor Day weekend. I, I, I feel very confident that the, the game, I'm not going to predict a sellout because it's just so hard to do uh, for, for Rutgers. But I'm expecting the students to show out, the lower bowl to be pretty full. And I think that's going to be a, a it needs to be an X factor, and it will be. Rutgers, the last time we had a night game, well, we had a couple last year. One was competitive. Well, we'll call, we'll call it competitive. The other was against Iowa, and it was just a mess, disgusting game. But Nebraska, the, the fans were participants, and that's exactly what we need Saturday night. And I, and I think that's going to be an X factor because Temple just played at home in Philly in front of pretty much nobody. Now, that's a tough stadium to fill out because it is an NFL stadium, and they, they don't sell out all the seats. But I think this game being a blackout, it's a little early in the season, but I'm all about it. It's a must win, uh, and I think that's going to be an X factor. So stay tuned to that. I'm excited to see how the students show out. I know they're giving out black black T-shirts, so students show up early, be participants, be loud, and and uh, make a great impression for, for Rutgers Nation on Saturday. Before we get to Ryan Wallen of 24-7 Sports, we're going to take a quick break. I am now joined by Ryan Wallen, who covers Rutgers uh, Temple football, excuse me, for Owls Daily over at 24-7 Sports to talk about this week's matchup. Ryan, how are you today? I'm doing well, Greg. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. I appreciate you taking some time to talk to the other side about what to expect this weekend. And I could assume, like Rutgers, Temple is looking to show some improvement coming off a three and nine year. Stan Drayton entering his second year as head coach. What have the vibes been around this team, I would say, over the first week, but mainly in training camp leading up to the season. You know, me personally, I like Drayton. I feel like he's a coach that can turn this thing around, runs a tight ship. So is it fair to say that there needs to be some sort of improvement or is it still kind of early in his tenure? Yeah, I mean, I I think the fan expectations are what the team expectations are this year. And that's that this team should be competing for a bowl game this year. You know, they, they should be looking to kind of turn the corner a little bit and start to show some progress in year two under Drayton, especially because there's been such turnover on this roster since Drayton arrived. Um, and, you know, this team showed towards the end of last year, especially that it really 
had some talent on it and the, the offense started clicking defense kind of fell off towards the end of last year but the first half of the season they played really well so I think that you know despite the turnover and all you have the talent that Drayton has brought in and he's preached you know this family mindset and this that they have to go to war for each other and you know it's not going to be pretty every week but guess what we're going to overcome and that's sort of what they did in week one against Akron and pulling out that uh, 24-21 victory over the Zips but you know like I said that the, the vibes for this team is that you know this team has something to prove this team wants to be great this team wants to compete for a bowl game this year and and you know restore Temple to the success it had seen in the late 2010s. And one thing we've seen, well, we saw last year as well, but we've seen already here in week one is that Temple trusts their quarterback and has one that's not afraid to throw the ball around. Is that going to be kind of the theme of this season that opponents are going to have to look out for every week, you know, 35, close to 40 pass attempts per game? I think that is what they're going to do. You know, I think Drayton knows what they have in EJ Warner and that he's the best offensive player they have on the field. So they're going to put the ball in his hands and trust his judgment in that because he spends such or so much time in the film room. He is, you know, one of those guys that wants to to succeed just much like his father did. You know, Kurt Warner that he he's might have been under recruited. He might be undersized. He's not going to have the biggest arm out there, but he's going to beat you with his mind and and his you know his ability to pick apart a defense, study them, pick them apart, and then you know show showcase his talents on the field because. Like you mentioned, he is a guy that has that talent there. Like I mentioned, not the biggest arm, but he's very accurate. And he ha- he has not put Temple in a bad position, really, thus far since he took over the starting quarterback job. Yeah, I think Rutgers last year was either his first start of his career or one of the first starts of his career. I know, ve- obviously, they played very early in the season. I think they brought him in in that game. and He he looked great in that one, and it felt like it just built for him. They played... I think he had five games last year, 40 or more pass attempts, and obviously one game of 50, one game of 60. So it seems like they trust him out there, and he's got the tools to make it happen. Yeah, and, you know, he, towards us, like I mentioned, the offense started clicking towards the end of last season. And, you know, we saw that in especially the last two weeks of the season where he went back-to-back weeks over 400 passing yards. You know, you don't usually see that from a true freshman, uh, you know, who's in his eighth start, ninth start at the time. Um, but, you know, like I said, he, he just has that skill set where he's able to find guys. He lets plays develop. He's patient in the pocket, and he just lets things develop and then play out, and then he'll fit that ball into the tight window. You know, obviously talking about Warner, there's there's that trust, and he has the ability and obviously the, the bloodline as well. Is it also a bit out of necessity when you look at this Temple backfield? I mean, you know, 61 yards against Akron, obviously not a huge number there against a team like Akron. Is that going to kind of be like we're going to see Warner throw the ball a lot? Is kind of those struggles in the backfield going to be there over the course of the year as well? I think that's the biggest concern that I still want to see Temple prove this year because last year was just a fiasco in terms of injuries along the offensive line. I think they started 11 different offensive line combinations over the 12-game stretch, so you can't really ever establish some consistency there. The backs weren't finding holes. They really had like one game where they finally broke out, and it was against USF, who had one of the worst rush defenses in the country. Um, so I, I think this year they're obviously hoping to find more success in the run game with Drayton, especially being a running back guy himself, and and then Temple bringing uh, back Tyree Foreman, who was a, a former coach under um, Steve Adazio, and Matt Rule, who had coached Bernard Pierce at Temple. 
Um, so I think they're trying to develop those backs into being a little more productive this year. Um, but it didn't start off great in week one, like you mentioned with Akron, um, who oddly enough had a, had a pretty veteran defensive line, uh, despite their, their defensive struggles in the past. But Temple's offensive line started two guys who had never started a game before at the two guard positions. Um, and, and it, it looked like throughout the game, they were switching some guys in and out just to see who was maybe having the hot hand or who was playing the best. And, and Temple at one point was playing um, two true freshmen and a redshirt freshman, um, like I mentioned in that game. So that might have part of been part of the reason why Temple might not have gotten the run game going. Maybe they were just a little too slow. Maybe they weren't strong enough to compete with those, some of those veterans on the Akron defensive line. And, and that's where it concerns me, obviously heading into Rutgers because Rutgers has a pretty strong defensive front. Um, but what I think what Temple's aiming to do is, is take a little bit of that pressure off EJ to make the offense a little less predictable I mean, it's worked out for EJ so far, but eventually, you know, the more you see this stuff, you only have so many pass plays in the playbook, and you would like to see that probably defense are going to start picking up on some of that uh, further down the road if they don't get the run game going. Yeah, I was going to say, Rutgers has had trouble getting, well, last year had trouble getting to the quarterback despite having a couple pieces along that defensive line, and they got five sacks in week one against Northwestern, going to bring more pressure, I assume, to against, you know, a quarterback like EJ Warner, try to get him off his his platform a little bit is that is there that where we could see a little bit of like you mentioned kind of that deception in the play calling maybe try and mix things up and try and confuse Rutgers a little bit yeah I agree I, I think I'll give the offensive line their credit for Temple even despite all the the changing last year and the the new combinations all the offensive lines I think EJ only got sacked 10 times all of last season which was outstanding considering that they had so many injuries and, and guys were playing out of position along the offensive line throughout the year. But, you know, it, the good thing was in week one that despite starting uh, two guys who had never played football before or college football, meaningful snaps before EJ didn't get touched. Um, they didn't give up a sack. I think he got hit once. Um, but even that it, it was a light hit. So it's, it's not like he got shaken up or anything, you know, so that's always good to keep your quarterback healthy, especially through the first week of the season when there are those miscues in week one with communication, you know, first live game reps. Um, so, but yeah, I, I totally think that that's where, you know, Temple has to prove themselves this week is, is can they, can they protect the quarterback against a stronger defensive line here? And will they be able to mix up the play calling a little bit, find a little bit of that success in the run game, uh, especially against the defensive front that's going to present a lot more challenges. There's two kind of position battles that interest me when looking at this game. I'll start with the first one. Temple lost Jose Barbone from last year, the team's leading receiver, obviously, but bring in Dante Wright from Colorado State, Ahmad Anderson's back, and Rutgers has two strong corners, one who fans believe should be playing on Sundays eventually in Max Melton. I think that's going to be a good battle between Melton and Robert Longerbeam and the Temple receivers that I just mentioned. What can you know, the Rutgers secondary and their fans expect to see from this receiving core? You know, I, I think in the limited uh, amount that we got to see them play in week one, you know, I, I think where Rutgers probably has an advantage is that Temple's receivers really didn't create a lot of separation between themselves and the Akron corners, especially in the first half of that game. You know, that that's part of the reason why Temple found itself down 21-7 at 1.2 Rutgers, and they were going three and out almost every drive – or to Akron and they were going on three and out almost every drive. Um, so 
I have yet to see the, them have that speed, but I, I think with Ian Stewart coming back this week for the Temple receiving core, this will be his first live game action in almost a year uh, due to a foot injury he suffered last, um, I think, in week four of last season. Um, he's he's more of a stretch-the-field kind of guy, so maybe that helps the Temple uh, receiving core a little bit. Um, stretch the field a little bit and he presents that deep threat a little more um, but Dante Wright you know he's, he's just showed that he was a really consistent piece last week you know he's guys that has secure hands seems like he's pretty comfortable with the ball in his hands Ahmad is more of a speedster guy who can bust the big play at any point um, once he gets the ball he just has to he's had some problems in the past securing the ball I guess you could say and then hanging on to it once he has the ball in his hands so but I think for the most part, you're going to see Temple try to, you know, make the screen game work, do these short, quick passes, um, try to get the ball out of EJ's hands fast, because that's what they like to do is just get the ball out fast and see what the plays can develop and let the guys that have the, the more talent skill sets as far as speed and athleticism make the plays. The other battle I wanted to talk about is the Rutgers backfield versus Temple up front. Um, Rutgers came in with a deep running back room. They're a bit banged up. They were missing two of their starting backs last week, and we don't know if they're going to go again this week. Knowing Greg Schiano, that'll probably be a decision released you know, a couple hours before the game on Saturday. But obviously a big problem for Temple last year was stopping the run, nearly 200 yards a game on the ground. Only let up 74 against Akron. Is this still a concern for Temple as um, obviously only one game in, you want to see a bigger sample size, or is there going to be improvement in that area as well? I think the more of the concern is along the defensive line as far as injuries are concerned with Temple right now. They're missing their best defensive lineman in Demerick Morris, who had surgery last week. Um, not sure how long he's sidelined for, but he definitely will not be playing this week in that game. So really, Temple's real already thin at defensive line. You know, their first group is pretty solid that they started, but you know they have um, Trey Thomas, who's an outside linebacker, playing defensive end right now because they're just so short and, and thin at that position group. So you got a 225-pound linebacker playing defensive end. You got a true freshman out there playing nose tackle at times in that second group in Conlon Green, even though he looked good last week. You know, that was like you mentioned, it was against Akron, who's historically one of the worst programs in FBS. So, you know, I, I think that's more of the concern. Uh, heading into this game, will Rutgers be able to run the ball against a, a, a little bit of a battered, bruised Temple defensive front, um, especially considering the fact that some of these guys are transfers and that was a, their first action in the Cherry and White last week with like Alan Hay and uh, Davion Hood, who came from East Tennessee State. So I think that's more of the matchup problem for Temple in this game. If Rutgers running backs can get through that defensive line, maybe get to the linebackers then. We'll see how that goes because Temple's linebackers are fairly solid for what they are. Um, they have four really good linebackers, um, really, and, and Jordan. And then to the, the backups, Jacob Hollins and Leighton Jordan, obviously. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that's more of the concern here for Temple, like I mentioned, is the defensive line rather than the actual uh, the, the injuries along the defensive line rather than what they're going to actually be able to do against the running backs. Yeah, going to the linebackers that you just touched on. That's where I was going next. Jordan McGee's back. Obviously, the other guys that you mentioned. This was a strength for the team last year. I assume it's got to be the same this year. You know, bringing back a lot of the same guys. Yeah, no, they're they're a veteran group. They kind of remind me of a group that Temple had a couple years ago in Jeff Collins' first year, where 
you know, they had some guys that eventually would go on to play in the NFL, three NFL linebackers on that team, and Sean Bradley, uh, Chappelle Russell, and Sam Franklin. I, I believe two of them are still on NFL rosters right now, and one's a free agent who was just cut in the right before uh, the 53-man rosters were released. But, you know, they started with some hiccups. You know, their first game was against Notre Dame in 2017 where they struggled in that game. But then by their end of their senior year in 2019, you know, they were they were NFL-quality players. And this group really reminds me of that. You know, two years ago they had their hiccups, but they've played through. They've learned. They've grown. They've developed physically, mentally, emotionally. And now I think you're seeing the fruits of that because two of them are single-digit players. Leighton Jordan arguably could have been a single-digit player. He's one of the, the best pass rushers in the in the conference. He's one of the, the most disruptive people in the conference as far as getting into the backfield um, for Temple. So I think just seeing that type of stuff, you have to think that that's where Temple's strength lies. So you got to let those guys go out and make plays and, and trust them to make the plays. Lots to digest there when I talked about the battles. What, you, what would you say is the most important one um, regarding, you know, either team on either side of the ball? You know, I mentioned, obviously, the Temple receivers against Rutgers secondary. Um, the game in the trenches on either side, I feel, could go a lot of ways depending on who shows up and who's healthy for both sides. What do you think is kind of that battle that could ultimately decide this game? I think the main battle is Temple's defensive line against Rutgers' offensive line. Um, you know, I, I didn't think Temple's defensive line did a great job last week of getting pressure on Akron's quarterback until late in the third quarter, and then they finally started to get a little bit of pressure going. They can't have that this week. You know, I, I think they have to get to Gavin early, get him a little rattled up, because, um, you know, even though Gavin's not a, a burner, you know, he, he's good enough to make plays and he has that mobility factor that also is a bit of a concern that you know you're going to have to have a linebacker kind of sitting there watching him scramble if, if Temple does break through that first level uh, of the offensive line so I think that's where the main battle is going to be whether the Temple's defensive line can get back there get some pressure like I already mentioned get into the backfield create some negative plays for the for the Rutgers run game as well um, but yeah I, I think that's where Temple really has to hope they're going to win their battle on Saturday. And Ryan, before I let you go, I got to get a prediction for this game. They very two very different matchups, obviously, in the past two years. 2021 Rutgers taking advantage of a program that seemed a little more down than it's been, you know, scoring 60 points in that one last year. You know, Rutgers stealing it at the end of the game that I still say Temple should have won that game. I think anybody who watched that would also agree. This year, nothing really to go off of although those past two years. You know, is it going to be closer to last year's game? If I had to make a prediction, I would say so. If you had to, what was yours? I think the game's going to be closer as far as I think it's going to be a little bit more points scored. I don't think it's going to be that low scoring again. I think it's still going to be a low score, um, probably in the 20s. Um, but I, I, I think if you would have asked me this question two weeks ago, I would have said Temple's going to win this game hands down. After seeing Temple last week come out of the gates a little slow, a little sloppy, I'm a little less confident in saying that Temple's going to win. Um, so just for the fact of the matter that they haven't shown me yet that they fixed much from last year other than the fact that they were able to finish a game, I'm going to say Rutgers is going to win a close one. I'll go 27-21. There we go. Ryan Wallen of 24-7 Sports. Thank you again for joining me today.
Thanks for having me, Greg. I appreciate it. Thank you again to Ryan Wallen of 24-7 Sports to go behind enemy lines discussing the Rutgers and Temple game this week. And Rutgers enters that game, like I said, as close to a 10-point favorite. I believe it's 9.5 right now. That's going to be a game that we force ourselves to pick at the end of each segment. Got to take the Rutgers game each week. Looking at our best bets, I'm going to start, give a quick recap of last week. We both, me and Matt, both currently sit at 6-3, and 1-0 and on Rutgers, six and three for the season, I should say. One and zero on Rutgers. Both having Northwestern, uh, both having Rutgers. Whoa, last week to cover the six and a half. I had Utah. Cam Rising didn't matter. They covered. Western Kentucky was a cover, and the USC team total over, which arguably is an every week take for me. Like I said, that that's just a team they're going <laughs> to score a million points, but not stop anybody. Texas was a loser. You saw a lot of weird games. A lot of. Under, those big underdogs staying within you know, 40, 35 points, that was a loss. And obviously the massacre in the second half of that Sunday night game, LSU, was a loss for me, but a win for Matt taking Florida State. Washington, obviously a big win there. Penn State, the miracle cover, the big conversation of the Penn State game at the end to cover that game. I'm sure we'll get into that. And Just then, rude. And then, Just rude and disrespectful by Dave Franklin. And then <laughs> Rutgers, um, two losers last week, the Michigan team total. Very strange game for Michigan there. And then Central yeah. Michigan, who was almost winning that game at halftime and then just uh-huh. kind of absolutely bounced in the second half. So, well, I do want <laughs> we got to stay with that Penn State game for a second before we move on to this week. Yes. James Franklin said exactly what I expect him to say, you know, yep. saying that he has his backups in and he wants to get him reps. But – I'm not a conspiracy conspiracy theory guy, but it's very, very hard to believe sometimes that coaches don't know numbers and have alumni in their ears over the course of weeks leading up when (laughs) when talking about gambling. I mean, it's impossible to think that sometimes when you look at a situation like this. Yeah, I... uh... I, I didn't. I actually turned the game off. I didn't finish it because I was just. I had an. I watched so much football and I cooked in the sun all weekend. I I loved it all, but I couldn't finish the rest of that game. And I felt pretty confident. I thought Penn State was the better team by far. Drew Aller looked phenomenal, but his. It's so funny. I was I was with a, a Penn State fan this weekend actually, and every Penn State fan hates James Franklin. They really hate this guy. I mean, he's done. He's. He's won football games for them. He just hasn't got them what they want, which is a national championship. And I'll remind you, it's been a long time since Penn State's been to or won a national championship. So, you know, they have that expectation. That's great. But they hate this guy. And his press conference explaining his his reasoning for going for it, like, we had our twos in. We wanted to get them experience, blah, blah, blah. Like, come on, man. Like, there was there was no – thank you. You, you got me my pick. I, I had that. I appreciate that. But – you're a jerk. You're a jerk. Yeah. Like, come on. <laughs> That's just all that was. I mean, I knew what he was going to say. He's done this in the past. I remember. I forgot the opponent, but they were up 56 nothing, and the team went to kick a field goal at the end to just get on the scoreboard, and he called a timeout, basically iced the kicker up 56 nothing. So this is nothing new for James Franklin. He's got all these issues on and off the field. So it, that's why, at the end of the day, of, along from everything else that happened decades ago that we won't even talk about, that's why nobody likes the current Penn State team because of their head coach, and they're so easy to root against. But we'll hop into games this week, and I'll start Friday night. Illinois, an ugly victory <laughs> in, in week one. We don't know how good they're going to be. 
But I've been a believer in Kansas for some reason for the past couple years, and they, they did me well last year. I'm going to hop back on this year. Thinking Illinois might have – this line might have a little to do with last week, but Kansas is home. They're a three-point favorite. I'll take I'll take them to win by a field goal there. Honestly, I, I – I, to be completely honest, I didn't look fully at the slate, but I opened this up a couple hours ago to see what we're looking at for this week. Just, just because of what Kansas is able to do offensively, and it being a home game, a night game too, and, it, and a program that's rising, like Kansas isn't a joke anymore, which I think is really cool because for a while, like they were like without question the worst Power Five conference team, like year out and year in. That's not the case this year, which I think is awesome, good for them. Uh, I, I like that too. It, it stuck. It's it, it, it's it's looking. I'm looking right at it. And Illinois struggled uh, against I forget who they played. It UTEP or, or somebody? Either way, they struggled. I'm with you on that. I'm I, I one of my picks is going to be Kansas minus three as well. Now we're both saying that, which means it's going to end poorly. But I'm all about Kansas minus three in this game. Yeah, a lot of better games that we saw last week, but still some big spreads that I'm not going to go too in depth on. But Washington minus 34 against Tulsa, Florida State minus 31 against Southern Miss. I think two teams that are just trying to flex early in the season, put up those scores to get in the college football playoff too, because. <laughs> Teams a lot of times sometimes feel like they need a bigger margin of victory, obviously, to get their name in there. So take those games, take them with a grain of salt. And I think Stanford getting 30 at USC is an interesting game. That's an interesting line. Stanford sped it up a little bit in their first game. So I don't know if they're going to score enough to keep up with USC. Again, that's a team that's just going to put up a million points every week. But 30 is a big number. Stanford's a prideful program. So you could take a chance in that one, I think, too. Now, this is this is the hottest pick on the street, the most talked about team probably in all of sports right now. I might have to come back to it, but I want to talk about it right now. But Nebraska on the road against Colorado. Colorado flying high, deservingly so. Uh, already tied their win total from the previous year. They have a winnable game on Saturday hosting Nebraska. I the the line I believe opened up at three. Now it's down to two and a half in favor of Colorado. I really really like what they're doing out there in Boulder. I mean that the the stadium's going to be packed. I know for a fact the fans are going to be showing up for that game. I think it's one of the most expensive tickets this weekend, which is just shocking because Colorado was you probably were, they were probably giving away tickets last year. But this is and you know I'm not again started following college football not not too long ago. These are two Big 12 teams, former Big 12 teams. Been a while. But this is this is almost a rivalry game. This is a, a renewed rivalry, I guess we can call it. And screw it. I'm doing it. Colorado minus two is one of my picks. 12 on, on uh, noon on Saturday, live from Boulder, Colorado. I I do not think Nebraska is a very good football team. Uh, and I think Colorado's offense is just and, – and the guys, they, ha- they have some guys, their secondary on defense is good now. One thing that worries about me is their defense because they did let up a lot of points, and if it wasn't for some interceptions by TCU, maybe they lose that game. But I don't think that they're going to be playing against the type of offense on this Saturday that they did this previous one. So give me Colorado minus two and a half. Uh, Shador Sanders, Travis Hunter, they're just dogs, and they're hungry, and they're going to eat on Saturday. Yeah, that's a, they're definitely the talk of the country right now. If that, if that line gets a little higher... I might think about taking Nebraska. When a line when there's so much attention on a team like this, it's always interesting to see how they return. Um, this week's a bad one to their home opener. Like you said, a Nebraska team that their offense isn't going to be very good. So who knows if they could keep up. 
I think they'll be able to slow him down defensively. TCU was just horrible defensively. And that line moved about eight or nine points, I think, already, if, if not even more. I think I saw somewhere that Nebraska was expected to be a seven-point favorite before the weekend started, and now they're getting three, obviously. So right now that's an ugly number. If it stays within a field goal, I think Colorado's the pick as well just because I don't think Nebraska will be able to stay with them. Um, another game I, I'm interested in is Ole Miss and Tulane. Ole Miss going to Tulane, who's, I believe, number 24 in the country, Tulane. Yep. Ole Miss is giving a touchdown on the road. That's a line that's begging you to take Tulane. I typically like to go the other way in those. So I think Ole Miss, SEC team, going to Tulane touchdown favorite. That's one to look at as well. Yeah, I, uh, that's a, I, I'm with you there. Uh, I'm, I, don't, I don't think it's going to be one of my picks, but just two games that I'm not going to take, but I think I, I find not shocking, but just just goes to show you some teams that are truly struggling. Virginia hosts James Madison, and they're five-and-a-half-point underdogs at home against James Madison, who's playing their second year at the FBS level after moving to uh, from the FCS level. So now they're in the Sun Belt. That's just, that's just really too bad, especially for a team like Virginia, who's went through a massive tragedy this past year. And they weren't too bad like two or three years ago with Brennan Armstrong. They might have even played in the – ACC championship game not too long ago. Just that's that's unfortunate. No disrespect to James Madison, but this is a home game against a Power Five team. You would expect them to be favored by a point or two, but you know if you watch that Tennessee game when Virginia played, their their offensive line is bad. Like you just very bad. You can rush for and pressure the quarterback like nothing. So just shocking. And then of course. Uh, Northwestern at home hosting UTEP, also a one and a half point fave or underdog. Just, just really too bad to see that. Like teams that are power five that are un, uh, being uh, that are underdogs at home against a non a group of five team. Like just, just very surprising. Uh, but one game that I'm going to have to, well, I think we all are going to have to pay very close attention to for the Rutgers fans listening to this is the Purdue Virginia Tech game. Uh, Purdue coming into Blacksburg. It's going to be a tough place to play noon on Saturday. Purdue was in a was in a shootout with was it Fresno State at home. It, the overhit and by a mile. Virginia Tech also put up some points against ODU. Again, not a very good team, uh, but but Virginia Tech has shown holes in their defense, and so has Purdue. So I'm going to go with the over here, 46 and a half, as one of my picks. Purdue Virginia Tech uh, noon on Saturday. The over 46 and a half. Both of those games were on my list as well. James Madison was the side I was backing for the reason that you said. Second year at this level and going on the road, and they're a six-point favorite. Again, Vegas knows more than we do, and there's some lines that just tell you what to do. People are begging to take Virginia. After everything that happened, it's a great story. Uh, A great comeback, I should say. Terrible story, but a great um, just comeback. They're rallying around the football team, but I just don't know how good they're going to be on the field. So James Madison's an interesting side there. And I would back Virginia Tech. I mean, that loss by Purdue was inexcusable. The offense looks strong. We don't know. Obviously, Fresno State's defense isn't the best. But I would take Virginia Tech. I would think get uh, they're giving – are they giving three points in this game? Or no, they're they, three-point favorites. The three-point favorites, right. So I would definitely take them in that game at home. I wouldn't expect the line to be what it is in this game, but that might just show kind of the year that Purdue is going to have. Um, another game to touch on quick, Liberty and New Mexico State. Liberty impressed a little bit. Their offense was able to put up a couple points in week one. New Mexico State's been one of the worst teams in the country. They've kind of taken over the 
the Kansas role or the UConn role from previous years. And I just think they're going to be that bad this year. Liberty at home, 10.5-point favorites. Yeah, I, I don't know. We did it last week. I don't know how you feel about doing it this week. But last week, we both kind of made a pick for, like, the primetime game for the weekend. And I think without question, the primetime game for this weekend is Texas on the road against Alabama. I don't know if you were planning on making a pick there, but I think it would be fun uh, to kind of keep – because that's a 7 o'clock game in Tuscaloosa, number 11 Texas versus number 3 Alabama. You know, it's a seven-point spread right now, which in my – I mean, any, I'm ne- it's so hard to doubt Alabama. But last year, they were when they were playing on the road in Texas, I think the spread was even wider. And Texas might have been unranked at the time. And they should have won that game if they're if uh, who was there? I don't know if it was I don't know who their quarterback. It might have been Quinn Ewers at the time. Oh, no, I don't think it, it may have been, but he got hurt. Another, I think Hudson Card came in, and you know they ended up losing by a point. I think it was. So when I look at this game, I feel like it's easy. It's really easy to pick Texas plus seven, but I I think I'm going to go with the over fifty four and a half in this game. I think this has the possibility of being one of the best games of the year. That's where it's tough because I'm not I'm not sold on on Jalen Milrose, Alabama's quarterback. You know they played Middle Tennessee at home. Middle Tennessee couldn't do anything. They couldn't tackle. They couldn't score. He didn't have to do anything hard. His receivers were so open. Ah, forget it. Texas plus seven. Horns up. I'm not I'm not I'm not the biggest Texas fan, but I'm going Texas plus seven here. I, I that game was on my list, and I was leaning Alabama minus seven because could be I, fun again. I think it was. This is a revenge spot for them, even though they won the game. I think they were close to a three-score favorite last year. It was a wide spread, real wide. And, you know, Texas came in on their home field. I think the home field is definitely going to be a difference this year. And we don't know what, what Milrow is. You're right. But we also don't know what Texas is. They're, they're expected to win the Big 12. They're expected to have, you know, Ewers be a Heisman candidate. Is Texas back? They've been, we've been saying that for so many years. We don't know. I think Bama is what they are. And if this stays at seven, I'll say that. If it goes above seven into that seven and a half, eight point range, I might reconsider. And like you said, maybe take the over in this game. But I, as I see it now, we're recording this on a Wednesday. It's minus seven. And I'm going to take Bama in this one. All right, that should be fun. I think, uh, you know, we're both on opposite sides right now, but I feel like we're both going to end up on the over. And I could see that moving against against us, like going uh, up to 55, 56. So I might sprinkle a little money on that, you know, shortly after this. Uh, but I, a game that I think, you know, it's what, it's tough when we – I really don't know if it's the correct way to, to sports bet, but use previous games to predict – the, the upcoming games. It's probably really the only thing you can do. But I really have been impressed with Notre Dame. Uh, I think that they're going on the road uh, to, to, North, to North Carolina State. Seven and a half point favorites. I I think that they're just a real... And, and the, what we, we saw NC State battling against UConn. Now, don't get me wrong. They were on the road in UConn. The Rensselaer field was, was pretty packed. It was a good home field advantage. But, you know, it, UConn is just... Uh, inferior opponent compared to a power five team and they battled them. They truly did. So I'm going to go, but with all that being said, I'm, I don't think NC state's going to be able to keep up with what Notre Dame's able to do on offense. And it's not like Notre Dame has a bad defense. So I wish it was at seven, but I'm going to take Notre Dame seven and a half on the road against NC state as, as another one of my picks. And I think that, uh, 
oh, what's his what what's what's his name? The quarterback. Um, what's Notre Dame's quarterback's name? Sam Hartman. Texas. Yeah, yep. he's just been amazing. He's been he's been truly truly like uh, we 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 didn't. It wasn't a fluke that he was good at Wake Forest. He's a no, good quarterback. He's a pro. So it's fun. It's fun watching that. Uh, I think it's going to be in, in, and again, Notre Dame, their best player hasn't been the quarterback for some time. So it's going to be fun to see if he can continue this trajectory of playing at a Heisman level. So I'm going to go with uh, uh, Sam Hartman and the Fighting Irish minus seven and a half uh, against uh, NC State. Just a few, just a few more to mention before we jump into the Rutgers game. The Minnesota Eastern Michigan under 47 and a half. That'll be an interesting one to keep an eye on. I think Minnesota's offense is that bad. And Wisconsin and Washington State under 58 and a half. That's just a product of what Wisconsin might try to do, run the ball a little more. We still don't know what their identity is offensively with the new coach and new quarterback. And it's very strange taking an under for a Washington State game. But obviously they're different than they've been over the past decade. So those are two more to keep an eye on. Now we have to take something in the Rutgers game. I feel like that's a given each week. I said that I don't trust the nine and a half number either way right now. If Rutgers gets comfortable, this is a game they might win by two touchdowns, you know, but many thought they were going to blow them out last year. And we saw what it did if Temple could kind of take control early. I am going to, so my pick here, I'm going to ride with the under of 44. I don't, neither team lit it up in the first game. I don't see him doing it here. I definitely don't see Temple scoring 30. I think Rutgers is going to play well defensively. And who knows what the Rutgers offense can do. If if this game goes over, I think it's going to be because of the Rutgers offense. And if that's the case, that's something that I could live with. So I'm going to take the under 44 in, in the for my pick in the Rutgers game. Yeah, I want to I want to take a look at something real quick. One sec. Oh, great! I can still get in. Uh, I want to I want to take a closer look at some of the additional lines that are being offered for this game because all right, all it's showing me is the. I was hoping I could take a look at like first half, first quarter, stuff like that. I'm not sure if those are out yet. Yeah, it doesn't look like it. Now I I'm gonna I'm gonna ride with my dogs here. I'm going I'm going Rutgers minus nine here. I, I think again it opened up at ten and it's moved down to I'm seeing nine right now. I, I could be wrong if other sports books might have something else. I'm going I'm going Rutgers minus nine here. I think that is the my, my I just if, if it's either going to be what it was last year, which I don't think that's the case because I, I just feel like the offense as a whole collectively is just more competent, specifically at the quarterback and offense coordinator positions. And the defense is as good or better to last year. Again, we talked about Temple. We talked about how they've improved. Good quarterback, rising program from uh, at the uh, within the AAC. But I'm going here my, my, with my, my Scarlet Knights, my team, minus nine. I'm... I'm, I'm on a level, I'm, I'm as confident as I was last for the, the previous game. No, but again, this is a group of five team. North Northwestern is a power five team. And what the line is three points, two and a half points different. Yeah. I'm going to go with the, my Scarlet Knights here. Minus nine. So the under is my pick. You're go, you're riding with Rutgers just like we did last week. Hey, that's yep. certainly what we're going to want to see. Be go on beat Temple by 10 points. Give this fan base even more to be excited about moving forward into Virginia tech. So the Rutgers under for me, Alabama is going to be the first pick of my five that we're going to take each week to pick out five of, you know, best games, our most confident games that we can. Alabama minus seven. I'm going to take Liberty minus ten and a half. I see as of now against New Mexico State. Again, I think that team is bad. I don't love taking Liberty as a double, but I think that's something we could ride with with how bad uh, New Mexico State is. 
I'm also going to take Kansas minus three. That's a pick against Illinois right now. We saw what they were last year, but maybe that was just a flash in the pan. They might not be as good as they were last year. So give um, Kansas a chance to show what they can really do. I need a couple more, and it's going to be that Minnesota Eastern Michigan under. I'm seeing that as 47 and a half. And I'm hoping this isn't the week that P.J. Fleck, I've said it many times, I'm not a P.J. Fleck fan. I'm hoping, he listens to the podcast. <laughs> I'm hoping he doesn't prove me wrong. My two guys I've mentioned, him and Brian Ferenc, just can't believe they both still have jobs. Anyway, I'm taking that as the under, and I'm taking Oklahoma's team total over. I don't think there's a line out for that now. That might be a game-time decision. But playing SMU, I believe the total is around 70 and a half. They put up a million points last week. I think this offense is high-flying. They're fast, and they're going to move quick. A lot of tempo in that game. So give me the Oklahoma. I'm looking on FanDuel right now. And they're the, it's yeah it's at home right now. They're over their team total over under forty two and a half. I mean that's almost half of the points they scored the previous week. Uh, so yeah, I mean that's that's interesting for sure. It's something to keep an eye out. Forty two and a half, I'll take it. So yeah, those are my five right there: Bama, Liberty, Kansas, Minnesota under, Oklahoma team total over. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna first for my first pick. I'm gonna ride with the Kansas minus three. I just I, I, I they, they've. They easily could have came out flat, but they didn't this previous week, and Illinois did. And now, again, they're going on the road to Kansas. Okay, it's not like the craziest environment, but that's just – I feel more confident with that pick there, and it certainly could be a close game. But minus three, you know, we're, we're, we're pretty much threading the needle there. I know it's just, it's probably a dumb pick. It's probably going to backfire, but I'm going to ride with, with Dion for right now with Colorado minus two and a half. It's my second pick. I just – I think their offense is, so, is just too talented – We've Shador Sanders played great, if and I and I, I think he's going to continue to play great. They have to play. They have to take such a step back offensively, play sloppy football to to really I think lose this game. And I don't think Northwest or Nebraska is going to be the team that comes out playing you know on all cylinders, not making mistakes. I could see them shooting themselves in the feet. They did. Jeff Sims threw like he had a terrible, terrible red zone interception. I'm expecting a little bit more of that from Nebraska as the season progresses. That's my second pick. Next, I'll go with Notre Dame minus seven and a half. I think their offense and Sam Hartman is is playing very, very good football, fundamentally sound football. They're running the ball well as well. And NC State was just a team that was on the road last week that showed showed signs of struggling against uh, UConn. Uh, we'll go with the over of the Virginia Tech-Purdue game, 46 and a half. That's my fourth pick. And now let's let's take our time with this 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 final one. I want to make sure it's correct. I, I would love for it to be an over. Um, nothing really popping out. Um, and I'll, I'll go. I'm going to go. I'm going to. I think you may have taken it, but the, the Wisconsin Washington State under 58 and a half. I think if Wisconsin's going to want to win games, I think for now they need to do it with their two running backs. And if they're not busting off big runs like they did this previous week against Buffalo, who gave them a you know fight uh, early on, I'm going to I'm going to stick with 58 and a half. I think that's pretty high, especially for a Wisconsin team uh, that just doesn't typically blow up the scoreboard. So yeah, what Wisconsin on the road uh, in a at Washington State, 58 and a half, the under. Yeah, that's something I talked about, too. I think they're going to try to run the ball again. We don't know what. Tanner Mordecai used to throw it around at SMU, but completely different program over there in Madison. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. 
I think that's all we got for you this week as we finish an, our second week of football season already. I'm already starting to think of how quick it's going. It's crazy how yeah. it's happened. But hopefully another re- uh, happy recap to talk about on Tuesday as we're back to break down the action between Rutgers and Temple. And this one, you said you had a wedding this week with the Rutgers game being at 7.30. I mean, you're going to have to find a split screen somewhere on your phone between that and the Alabama game. It's listen. If 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 I'm gonna have if I'm not gonna have trouble doing anything this weekend, it's watching the games. I'm gonna find a way. It's gonna happen. Uh, There's no question about it. If I get yelled at, if I get hit, I don't know. I'll start crying. Act act like I gotta leave. Take a call in the parking lot. Figure it out. Uh, But you know, maybe I'll get the groom on my side and he'll be able to watch with me. Except he's a Boston College uh, alum, so he's probably in the dumps right now with the way their program is. But either way, uh, I'll be watching. But I'm definitely gonna be watching a replay. Shortly after the wedding, during the wedding, on Sunday before NFL. Uh, but uh, at this time, I'm definitely going to find time to watch all of the games as much as possible. Absolutely. I mean, I got a wedding next week, the, the Virginia Tech game. Just a horrible time to have a wedding. Oh, man. I'm, I'm in the wedding, too. So it's one of those that <laughs> it's going gonna, gonna to take up the entire afternoon and the entire day rather than just having the reception at night. But everybody, until next week, enjoy Rutgers and Temple. Again, hopefully – Another win for Rutgers to start out the season 2-0, and we'll be back on Tuesday to recap all the action from the game.